Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected. Yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. And this is the part that I want you to remember. Tis the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. On these Wednesday evenings in Lent, we are advancing through the chronicles of the kings of Judah, all of whom were David's sons, according to the royal line, but none of them were David's Lord. That's the one that they were all waiting for. That is the weight of the expectation that every king in the Davidic line had to bear. Am I the one? Am I the promised son to come who is going to rule forever? And the answer is no, no, no. Wasn't Asa. It's not Jehoshaphat. And it's not Joash. But each week, through the lives of these kings, we see something about the way that their life plays out and how the life of Jesus, it plays out not for curse or ending in death or destruction for the people, but every way that these kings of Judah fail, our Lord Jesus succeeds. He is the promised one, the, the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. So let's walk through tonight the chronicle of Joash, who, like all the good kings, again, started out, things are looking kind of okay, and then they always seem to take a bad turn and things go from bad to worse in a hurry. The temple had fallen into disrepair after Jehoram was king. And if you weren't here last week, Jehoram was the king, or was the son of King Jehoshaphat, who was married to a princess of the neighboring kingdom to the north, the kingdom of Israel, forming a marriage alliance. And that would have been a, a, a savvy move, except for Jehoram's parents-in-law were King Ahab and Jezebel. And um, those were some bad characters. So Jehoshaphat dies. Jehoram takes over. The very first thing he does is kill all of his brothers so that nobody else can have a claim to the throne. And then he reigns for a while and he dies. And one of his sons named Ahaziah reigns for a while, but he's just as wicked as his father. So meanwhile, the temple of the Lord is getting no attention. Nobody's doing anything in there because everyone is worshiping idols. They're drawn into the worshiping the Canaanite gods of their neighboring countries. And eventually Jehoram's son Ahaziah dies and that leaves Athaliah, who is Jehoram's widow. Now she is a wicked king, or a wicked queen, I should say, just like her mother Jezebel was a wicked queen. And this thing that she does is she puts the entire royal family besides herself to death. So that there, again, could be no other claim to the throne. And she gets everybody but one person. Because the temple was neglected, the temple was a good hiding place for, say, a member of the royal family who wanted to be spared as an infant from this wicked queen. And that is where Joash was hidden, in the temple, where nobody was looking. It, was, it had fallen into disrepair. No one was going there to practice religion anymore because they had abandoned the Lord. They had abandoned Yahweh, the God of their fathers. Joash grows up. 
And he decides, you know what? I'm going to restore the temple. And this took a lot of time and it took a lot of money. And that involved like physical work on the structure, but it also involved developing the culture among the people of using the temple what it was, for what it was built for, worshiping God. Joash restored the temple into being a refuge for sinners where you could go and have your conscience made clear, where you could have things made right between you and God and you and others. But he only did that for as long as this priest, Jehoiada, was alive. There's an interesting bit of uh, foreboding here in the first part of this text. 2 Chronicles 24, verse 2. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life? No. All the days that this priest was alive. This priest who had saved him from being murdered as a baby. This priest who had hidden him in the temple complex until he was old enough to become king. As long as this priest was alive, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This priest dies. Things immediately start to go sour. Because other advisors start to flatter the king and he starts to listen to them and you finished that big building project. It's time for you to, you know, put another notch in your belt. Let's do something else. Let's do something different. You know what would be great? Let's, let's make Jerusalem a truly ecumenical, uh, tolerant, open city. Let's build some altars to other gods as well. Let's, let's rebuild these, these Asherah poles and let's, let's restore all of these things that the other intolerant kings decided that they were going to tear down. We'll be real cosmopolitan be real hip here in Jerusalem. Plus, even if you don't believe in this stuff, Joash, it's not really that important. It's politically savvy for you, and you get to have the fame and renown of another successful building project. Look at that king go. And so he falls for that, and he moves on from the temple. And who confronts Joash about this? But Jehoiada's son, the priest Zechariah who had continued in the family business. This is Joash's brother, almost. This is the son of the man who saved his life, who looked out for him, who established him as king. And Zechariah comes and says, why have you abandoned the Lord? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. And Joash decides that the solution to this problem is to kill this priest in the temple. Quite a fall from restoring the temple to its original purpose, clearing out all the idols, tearing down everything else. Let's worship Yahweh alone. And then when Yahweh comes to call King Joash to repent, Joash kills that prophet, priest. In the courts, you know, somewhere between, Jesus quotes this actually in the New Testament. He says, the blood of Abel all the way to the prophet Zechariah who was slain between the altar and the entrance. So, you know, to put that in our terms, I mean, how, how, how profane, how wicked. We need a better king than Joash. Don't we? And our better king was not so unlike his father, Joash. 
He was found in the temple as an infant. Remember, Jesus was brought to the temple as all boys, as all children were. And there's this episode where, where this guy named Simeon, he grabs Jesus and he says, Lord, now you let your servant, what? Depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. And when we sing it, we all say, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, right? We sing that all the time when we have communion. Why? Because we too, like Simeon, hold salvation in our hands. When we receive the Lord's body given for you. When we receive the Lord's blood shed for you. Back to Jesus in the temple. Jesus was hidden away from the reigning royalty who wanted to exterminate his life, just like Joash was hidden away in the temple. Jesus, of course, wasn't hidden in the temple. Their, their flight was to Egypt. Remember, King Herod heard that the king of the Jews had been born? I thought I was the king of the Jews. So he hears about this from the Magi, the, the kings from the east, and he says, all right, every, every boy two years old and younger needs to be put to death. Jesus is hidden from that wicked action of the current monarch in the same way that Joash was hidden from wicked actions of the current monarch. And he, our Lord Jesus remained in the temple as a young boy. Joash became king, I think, when he was around seven years old. But for his whole life up to that point, it wasn't safe for him to be out and about. So presumably he spent a lot of his time, almost all of his time, in the temple complex where nobody would find him. And you remember when Jesus was, I think, like 12 years old? Something like that. The whole family goes up to Jerusalem to observe one of, the, one of the great feasts of the Jewish people. And the family is leaving. They're on their way home, probably traveling as a group back to Nazareth. And all of a sudden they realize, wait, where's Jesus? I thought he was with the kids. No, I thought you had him. I thought he was with the, where's the, you know, panic. So they march back up to Jerusalem. And where do they find Jesus? In the temple. And of course, he's teaching the scribes and the, the religious leaders. And they're like, wow. You know, they're sitting on the floor around him. And he's like, where else did you expect to find me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I had to be about my father's business. And of course, when he was an adult, he restored the temple to its proper use. And I've mentioned this on at least one other of these Wednesday nights. He goes into the temple which had become almost this mercantile association, the money changers exchanging currencies, and they were selling animals. If you couldn't bring an animal for sacrifice, you could, you know, for a nominal fee, plus a little bit of a convenient surcharge, you could buy one at the temple. <laughs> they were robbing people to turn a profit who were trying to come to the temple to get forgiveness for their sins. And Jesus said, no, we're not going to have that. And so the scriptures say that the disciples remembered of him. There's this psalm that says, zeal for your house has consumed me. Because Jesus was like, the, like a Tasmanian devil from Looney Tunes or something. Whirling through the temple complex, flipping tables over. I mean, it was like, you know, it makes uh, Monday Night Raw look tame in comparison. Yet in the most important way, our better king, Jesus, is not like his father, Joash. 
because he didn't give in to sin. He didn't get past his mission of providing a source for people to get forgiveness and blessing in life. Now, the temple, right? That's what we're talking about. That's where people would go for that. Joash, he killed the one sent by God to bring the nation to repentance. That prophet Zechariah that he had stoned in the temple complex. Joash killed that guy sent by God because Joash wanted to continue in his sin. Jesus was the one sent by God who gave his life for his people in order that we might not remain in sin's prison, in order that we might not continue in our sin. Joash tried and he failed to restore the temple to God's original design. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, he got the job done, but he did not do it by building some physical structure that all Christians forever and ever have to make a pilgrimage to in the Holy Land somewhere. No. In Jesus' baptism, remember, something descended on him and remained on him. Do you remember what that was? It was a member of the Trinity in the form of a dove. The Holy Spirit. Yeah. In the Old Testament... When the tabernacle was finished being built, and the same thing happened when the temple was finished being built, and there was this great prayer, and things were consecrated with the blood of sacrifices, and there was sprinkling of this and that, and incense and prayers and praise. Do you know what happened at the tabernacle and at the temple? Something descended and remained there. The presence of God. And then Moses would go in and talk to God and Moses would come out and his face would be glowing because he was face to face with God. And the same thing happened with the temple in Jerusalem. Now, does that sound similar to what happened to Jesus at his baptism? The, the presence, the perceptible presence of God comes down and remains on Jesus. Jesus is the temple. If we think of the temple as the place where God's glory dwells, the place where God's presence is on this earth. Wherever Jesus was, that's it. It says elsewhere in the New Testament that the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus. There's no, it, it's not like Jesus' body had most of God in it, but there's some God outside of Jesus that is like left over. We couldn't, couldn't fit it in. It's all there. Jesus is the temple walking around among us. In John 1, in the prologue to John's gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, pitched his tent among us. That same, same word that stands behind the tabernacle in the Old Testament is the same word used there. God tabernacled among us in Jesus. And so in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus provided the true temple for us. People were pretty mad at him after he turned over all the tables and spilled all the coins and, and basically wrecked the money-making enterprise in the temple courts. And they said, what sign do you provide as authority for making a mess of all of our stuff here, Jesus? Like, you know, flash a badge or something. Like, what agency are you with, you know, in our terms? Who are you anyway? Why do you think you can do this? 
And he said to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. He wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. What was he talking about? His body, himself. This temple, this is the true temple, Jesus' body, given for the life of the world. He gives us his body to be the true eternal temple. That is our source of forgiveness and blessing and life. Thanks be to God, we don't have to go to a particular place to get it. We just have to go to a particular person who is always present to us through his word and through the sacraments. We receive Jesus' body and blood in the sacrament of the altar, most directly. We participate in Jesus' body by being part of the local church, which is described in the New Testament scriptures as the what of Christ? The body of Christ. And in the life of the world to come that we confess, that we believe in, in the Nicene Creed, we will interact with Jesus in a way we can only imagine now. Where, it's, where faith will become sight, where we will see him as Thomas saw him. And say, my Lord and my God, we shall behold our Lord face to face and know him as he knows us. It says at the end of Revelation that there is no need for a temple in the new heaven and the new earth because the whole thing is the temple. The entire new creation that we will inhabit one day after the great day of resurrection will be in the presence of God for an eternity of an eternities. And we will know joy like we cannot imagine now. Amen.